Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I will trust in you, Lord. I will trust in you, Lord. 
Well, again, good morning, everybody. We're glad that you're here. I want to invite you to stand up to your feet. If you're feeling blessed today, we are going to sing a song that I want to teach you in this moment. And simply put, the chorus says, you give me joy deep in my soul. And for many of us, we hear the word deep, we hear soul. It's kind of this nebulous thing. But really, in actuality, it's not this hidden joy, right? It's the joy that's the foundation for which we can move forward on with, right? No matter what we're facing in our lives, that we can look at it and say, you know what? I'm facing whatever I'm facing with a Savior and a God who can take on anything, right? I can, I can face this and say, you know what? Even in the midst of my circumstances currently, I have an eternal hope and a hope for now in the name of Jesus. And so the joy that we're gonna sing about is the type of joy that runs deep deep in our souls so that we can face anything in life and know that we're not facing it alone. So I'm going to teach you the chorus. It's really simple. It goes like this. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. Yes, you give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul down deep in my soul that's it you guys sing you give me joy down deep in my soul down deep in my soul down deep in my soul do you believe it today you give me joy down deep in my soul sing it in faith this morning down deep in my soul down deep in my soul yeah you guys sound good here's the verse right here in my brokenness yes there is i've got true love instead of pain this freedom though you've captured me and i've got joy instead of mourning that's right come on there's beauty in my brokenness i believe that and i've got true love Instead of pain, straighten it in. Well, there's freedom though you captured me, and I've got joy instead of mourning. Come on, believers, sing. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. Wear it on your face today. You give me joy down deep in my soul down deep in my soul down deep in my soul here's the verse hey there's beauty in my brokenness i believe that i've got true love instead of pain with this freedom know you've captured me i've got joy instead of mourning there's beauty in my brokenness And I've got true love instead of pain well, There's freedom though you captured me And I've got joy instead of mourning You give me joy, you give me joy Down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul soul you give me joy down deep in my soul down deep in my soul down deep in my soul
There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. And there is one who's born for our salvation. His name is Jesus. Jesus. There is a like me and dealing with anxiety. It comes in waves. It feels overwhelming. But this song has some great encouragement for you and for me this morning. So listen close. It's hard for me to let go, hard for me to breathe, thinking that I gotta control it all. I can feel my worry and anxiety when it's slipping through my fingers and I know it. I've been losing my sleep, I've been losing my cool I can feel my heart go boom, boom, boom Staring at the ceiling, feeling like a fool I'm going under and I know it But I hear you whisper to me If I lose my grip, I will see That you're always carrying me So Oh, I'm gonna let it, yeah I'm gonna let it go Cause if I trusted, yeah, I could move with your flow. Be careful. 
time for me to breathe Knowing that he already holds it all Time for me to turn down this anxiety Cause I can know my freedom in a moment Cause when I lay it all down You're gonna lift me up When I pour it all out You're gonna feel my cup You're holding out your arms And telling me to jump One, two, three, here I go, yeah Cause I hear you whisper to me If I lose my grip I will see That you're always carrying me I'm gonna let it, yeah I'm gonna let it go Cause if I trust it, yeah I can move with your flow Be carried in the current of your love When I lean into your arms, you're enough So I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it go Letting go of my worries And my need to control things I'm gonna take you out your world my choice to make so I'm gonna let it yeah I'm gonna let it go cause if I trust it Good morning, New Spring, to all of you here in the South Auditorium and the North Auditorium watching online television. So glad you guys are here. We're in a series on anxiety, and it's week three, and our series is called Song for the Anxious Mind, because everything is taken from a song in the Bible, Psalm 139. So if you have a Bible, you might go ahead and turn there, uh, or you can just Google Psalm 139, and you can just follow along with us. This talk has been the one I've been most excited about bringing, frankly, it's built on one line from the psalm that really gave birth to this series in my heart and life. It is the most personal of all of the messages. And because of that, I'm going to ask for your permission to speak very personally from my life because this topic goes to such a deep level in each of us. It's at a level that I'm not sure any of us knows someone else at that level. We only know ourselves. Um, <laughs> If you could imagine your life as a house, allowing guests in, you know, there are certain rooms where you allow guests in, and then the more you know them, you allow them into other rooms in your house. For instance, if a stranger comes to visit you, you might invite them into the living room. And then if you've got close friends, you might invite them back into your den to watch television. If they're really, really good friends, you might even have them in the kitchen and stand there and talk while you're preparing food. Well, if this talk was going to go to a room of your house as if it were your life, this talk would be about the closet that you go to to hide in that no one else is in. So because of this deep, deep place we're going to be talking about today, I need your permission to talk about my life because I don't know that I know anyone else's life at this level. Um, one of the great causes of anxiety in my life, maybe the greatest cause, and I should start by saying that I do deal with anxiety, as I've shared with you many times before. Uh, all of us deal with it situationally, but I have an anxiety disorder. It's a real issue for me, has been. I had panic attacks when I was a kid, all the way into my college years, young adult years, um, and it's just, just been a, 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 an issue for me. Uh, so much of my anxiety, though, comes from this place, and that is... I have a sense of calling and mission and purpose in my life, but oftentimes I feel like it's too big for me. And the irony is it isn't that the world is too big for me, it's that I'm too complex. I don't know if anyone else feels this in your life as I feel it in my life, but there are times when I look at what God has called me to do and I feel like a perfect fit. 
I look at my gift package, I look at the assignments that God gives me, and I can back away from it all, and I can say, God, I can see how you built me for the mission that you have given me. And then there are times when I feel like a square peg in a round hole. I mean, there are days when I feel like, God, I see exactly why you built me the way you did. And then there are days when I think, how can someone like me be tasked with doing these great things? And by the way, let me just go somewhere so that I don't leave a false impression with anybody. You know, of course, that I am a minister. I'm a pastor of this church um, in my 35th year, and I've been pastoring for 42 years, so you understand what I do for a living. It might be easy for you to say, well, Mark, of course you have, you have these thoughts because you have this great assignment from God. Let me just say something to you. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's work for your life, you're as much in ministry as I am. If you're God's man in God's time doing God's will for your life, you're as much in ministry as I am. I got this lesson many years ago in a really interesting kind of way. The first week I was here at our church, uh, I was 28 years old. Wichita was a strange place to me. Um, I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. The only other place I'd pastor was Houston. So when I came to Wichita, everything just felt kind of different. Frankly, in those days, it felt like an overgrown country town. But I was, I was having a good time getting to know the church and getting to know people in the community. And one of the first people I met in the community was Bill Cozine, who is the owner of Broadway Mortuary. And the reason why I had that experience was the very first week I was here, I was called upon to preach funeral. That was not unusual for me. I think the first time I ever spoke at a funeral, I was 16. So by the time I'm 20, I'm pastoring, I'm conducting a lot of funerals. But in those days, oftentimes there would be a service at a funeral home or a church, and there would be a long funeral procession to the cemetery. And I would ride oftentimes in the hearse with the funeral director. In those days, I had a too cute by half saying about marriage. I used to say, better or worse till you ride in a hearse. And Mary Alice said, you got to stop saying that because you ride in a hearse all the time. But, you know, I, am, I do have kind of a quirky personality, and so I'm wondering, how do you have small talk with a funeral director? <laughs> I mean, just how do you start that off-the-cuff conversation with a mortician? But that's where I'd find myself sitting in the front seat of a hearse on the way out to the cemetery. So I learned to ask a particular question. I'd learned that before I moved here. You ask the funeral director, how did you get in the business? Because I've heard so many interesting stories. You know, one guy said, you know, I, while I was in a hot summer, he was going to university in Texas, and I think it was Texas A&M, and in the summer he needed a job, and the only job he could get was shoveling asphalt on road construction crew, and so when I asked him, how'd you get in the funeral business, he said, I, I, I thought to myself, there's got to be an easier way to make a living than that, so I got into the funeral business, and then a lot of them would tell me, you know, it was a family business, but I never will forget the day I was sitting with Bill Cozine in the front seat of his hearse, and I, I looked at him, and so I started my, you know, my general question, how did you get into the business? And Bill wheeled on me and pointed his finger in my face, and he said, Preacher, I want to tell you something. I believe that God called me to do what I do. He said, I believe that God called me to do what I do as much as you believe God called you to do what you do. Well, ben, Bill's been a close friend for many, many years, and, and is to this day. But I, I never get away from that first conversation. I've told that story all over the world because I believe exactly what Bill told me that day. If you are God's person in God's time doing God's will for your life, you're as much in ministry as any preacher or missionary or Bible teacher or any other role that we might normally associate with the church. So I'm asking you the question, do you ever have anxiety because there are times when you don't feel like you're a fit for the work that you're doing, and yet you find, strangely, that you often are. Well, we're going to talk about that today because there is one line in today's psalm that helped me understand the complexity and the complication of my own personality. By the way, let me ask you a question. At what age did you discover that you were different? You did discover that, right? Well, unfortunately, when we discover that we're different, we can take that the wrong direction. By the way, different is a good thing. Some of you will know Psalm 139 with the authorized version translation. And it, David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If that language is familiar to you, you need to know that the Hebrew word for wonderfully is the word for different. And David is saying, I'm different. You made me different. But 
oftentimes when we learn that we're different and we feel different from those around us, it can take us to a very dark place. Instead of the beautiful place God wants it to take us, we can go to the dark place and say, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. With that in mind, I want you to read Psalm 139. We've already covered the first 12 verses. Today, we're only covering verses 13 through 16. So read these with me because there's a beautiful, beautiful line in this section of the psalm that will help us deal with our own complexity. Verse 13, you made all the delicate parts, David talking to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Well, this series came alive in my heart months and months ago. Mary Alice was reading scripture to me one morning. We, every, every morning at breakfast, she likes to read out loud. I like to be read too, so we read through sections of the Bible. And she was reading Psalm 139, and when she came to one line, I jumped up out of my chair and said, series. For all of you who wonder where I come up with series, you know, these, these series, that I just jumped up and said series. The line that began this series was verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. That's the last prayer I ever thought about praying. In fact, most of my anxiety is over my complexity. And yet I heard the word of God as David prayed, thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Well, you're a very smart audience, and I'm guessing you already know where I'm headed with this. But before I get to the place that we all presume, let's just follow the trail of Scripture so that we'll get the full impact of what God is saying to us. Let's start with verse 13. You made the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Well, the first statement of this part of the song is thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex biologically. David said you made all my parts. And what a cool word, knit, K-N-I-T. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Well, my sermon is not about abortion this morning, but that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting consideration, wouldn't it? Because the Bible tells us that God made all our parts and knit us together in our mother's wombs. Well, let's go directly to what David is saying. He's saying, my body was designed with purpose. And that's a really important consideration. I remember I was part of a dialogue at Wichita State University. It was a three-hour dialogue uh, with the Student Non-Theist Society. Um, my partner was one of the professors at Wichita State who was a believer. In fact, in those days, he was, I believe, head of the psychology department. And I was debating a couple of my friends who were members and actually officers of the Student Non-Theist Society at Wichita State. And for three hours, we dialogued about does God exist? And we got into this subject of the origins. By the way, whoever plants the flag on origins has the high ground. That's why oftentimes in our culture, we're not allowed to debate whether or not humans evolved or whether we are the product of special creation. It is because of that understanding that whoever plants the flag on the subject of origins has the high ground. But I remember as I was engaged in that discussion, that there was a construct that's very clear to my mind. When you look at the natural order, and definitely the human body, functionality is such a key aspect to it. I mean, all you have to do is to consider the human body in simple terms, and it's very clear that there's clear functionality, correlation, interrelationship of all of our aspects of our human body. Well, function indicates design, design indicates designer, designer, in, it, in, it infers by its very definition the concept of intelligence. Well, if I were to believe in pure Darwinian evolution, that everything that is here is products of an accident, just random rolls of the cosmic dice, then I would have to say then that all, that, all the functionality of the human body or the natural order, by extension, 
is just a matter of accident. And I would, as an old debater from high school and college days, I sure wouldn't want to have to take that debate. Because to me, it's very clear. The human body is not a system. It's a system of systems. It's what David is saying. He's talking about our design and the purpose and the functionality. As I shared with the last service, I understand that things happen by random. Uh, if I am going outside and I look up and I see a cloud that looks like a horse, I can say that happened randomly. It is a cloud that just happens to look like a horse. If I walk outside and I see sky riding that says, eat at Joe's, I know that that didn't happen randomly. I know that there's a sky rider and there's a pilot up there who knows how to sky ride. So that's what I'm talking about when, in regard to the natural order the very functionality of the natural order, the very interrelationship of systems indicates, well, function means design. Design means designer. Designer means supreme intelligence. That would be true. We build airplanes here in Wichita. I mean, if you saw a Cessna 180 beside a Boeing 787, they might have similar characteristics, but you know that the Cessna 180 did not become the, the Boeing plane. So David is just saying, I was made. You made all my parts. Someone could say, well, I don't believe that. And I understand. I was a product of public education in Texas and I was taught Darwinian evolution from second grade all the way through. But what we must understand is that God will not concede. God is not remotely willing to concede his glory as creator. Let me read this to you from Romans chapter one. And I think this could be said about our generation. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have, look at these two words, no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. I have friends who do not believe in special creation. And I've had them say to me, well, if God were to somehow prove it to me, I would be open to that conclusion. Well, what's inescapable here is God feels, God feels that he has. He feels like he's made it abundantly clear. So David is saying, thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex biologically. As I said at the beginning of this part of the talk, to me, just the, the sheer magnitude and scope and awesomeness of God's creation takes accident off the table. Uh, just take, for instance, your brain. Of course, you're a system of systems. You have circulatory system. You have reproductive system. You have skeletal system. But just take the brain, for instance. Scientists have recently calculated that the brain's main processing centers, the neurons that, that control body functions and form thoughts, you have 86 billion of them with a B, 86 billion. You say, my husband probably only has half that many. It's possible. But scientists say 86 billion. The nerve fibers that transmit instruction and information to different neurons and muscles and glands. You've got 528,000 miles of it in your brain. And scientists now estimate that the human brain contains 2.5 petabytes of memory capacity, that would be equivalent to all the information stored at all U.S. academic research libraries. And yet, in order for all of that to be functional, your brain only needs to be fueled by the equivalent energy of a 20-watt light bulb. So God is not only brilliant to the exponent, but he's also very efficient. And yet in our culture today, those power centers with the microphone tell us with assurance that we are the product of a cosmic accident. You know, I, I love listening to those who have 180 degree different points of view to me. I, again, as I, as I have shared with you before, I was a debater in high school and college. And if you've ever debated, you know that when you go to a tournament, one round you're affirmative, one round you're negative, and you oscillate back and forth. So I'm, I'm comfortable debating both sides. I'm comfortable with information from both sides. So I, I love listening to the other side. I, I listened to, uh, I think it was a couple of hour long lecture on how the rattlesnake evolved a rattle. Well, I knew from the very beginning 
that they were going to be going uphill because for an animal to develop a warning system that would warn prey would go completely counter to the Darwinian model. So I was interested from the very beginning in hearing how the rattlesnake evolved its rattle. Well, in short, the speaker with a very breathy voice informed us authoritatively that the rattlesnake discovered that it was dangerous. I guess whatever it bit died. And so in this amazing altruism, the rattlesnake decided that it needed to warn its neighbors that it was dangerous. I thought that was wonderful. I, I, you know, my, my parents come from South Central Texas. We have rattlesnakes down there. They used to scare me to death, but it felt, I felt much better knowing how rattlesnakes had good feelings toward the damage that they could potentially do to others. And so over hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, the rattler developed a, a rattlesnake developed a, a rattler. Well, that caused me to think about this too, because I thought about all the generations who had to carry the weight of that project without very little being actually accomplished. And I wondered how a dad rattlesnake would talk to its son as it got ready to die. I'm sorry, son. We rattlesnakes have been working on this for thousands of years, and this is as far as we've gotten. You're going to have to take it from here. It is the sheer silliness of this. As, like I said, an old debater, I would I love to do this debate. It's too easy. But with the people with the microphones today don't allow debate, it is because if they ever did, it would be a slippery slope because function means design and design means designer and designer means intelligence. And as I said, if there was ever the openness to special creation, then it would be a slippery slope to ask, well, who is that creator? And that, of course, would point to God. So today, let us just go here. David said, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Thank you for making me biologically so wonderfully complex. He said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's beautiful to me because it goes beyond the massive power of God to create. And it goes to his personal love for me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is not my topic today, but we are coached by the media to be insecure. We have this image that's presented to us by celebrity culture that says you must look like this in order to be accepted. And how many children are bullied because of this culture, because of appearance? How many adults are bullied by the culture because of this? And isn't it beautiful for us to just pull back for a moment and say, I don't have to measure up to some societal norm. I don't have to measure up to what the celebrity culture tells me I must look like. God knit me together in my mother's womb. Evidently, he wanted somebody that looked like me and he made me. That takes away a lot of insecurity and takes away a lot of anxiety. But now let's go to where you guessed I was going at the beginning of this talk. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex personally or psychologically. It's interesting. There's a strange language theme in this verse. Because our verse says how well I know it. But the older translations say my soul knows this. Now, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. It's the word for when God breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living nephesh or soul. But the Greek equivalent to it is the word suki. We get our word psychological from that. That's the word for soul. So now David is saying, Lord, it isn't just that you've made me so wonderfully complex biologically. That part of me that is invisible, that part of me that is the real me, my personality, my psychological makeup, David is saying, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, quickly, we're not talking about our sins. In other words, I'm not looking at the complexity that my sin brings in my life and say, God, it's your fault. I'm just talking about that basket of traits that feels so contradictory. And we are a basket of contradictions, aren't we? Isn't that true? Sometimes it's hard to figure ourselves out. 
And because we have a hard time figuring out the complexities of our personality, we are terrified that others are going to try to make sense of them. It is why we do such silly things when we meet strangers. How many times, you know, have we stepped on our feet trying to meet a stranger? And if you back all the way up to the psychological background of that, what it really is, we understand that we're complex. And the scariest thing in the world is that a stranger would try to make sense of what we can't make sense of. But you can just follow the trail all the way up from strangers. It's one of the things that causes all kinds of problems in relationships and marriages because we're very complex people. And when we join our lives with someone else, there's a part of us that's simply known only to us, that insecurity we have about our, our contradictions. And it's terrifying that the person we love the most is going to try to make sense of what we can't make sense of. As I said at the beginning of this message, if you'll allow me, I want to talk personally because I only know myself at this level. This contradiction, this complexity that we feel is all bound up in strengths and weaknesses. And we handle it pretty well if our strengths and weaknesses are in different areas. I mean, that's why we take personality profile tests at work. You know, I'm good at this, I'm not good at this, I'm strong at this, I'm not strong at this. But what is a challenge for me is that sometimes I can be strong and weak in the same area. Just being real with you. As pastor of a church for 42 years, as pastor of this church for nearly 35 years, I've always been a risk taker. I've always believed in great things. And, and the word for, about me, and I would hear it when I was being introduced as a speaker or when people were talking about me, I would hear people say things like, Mark is fearless. Well, at times, and oftentimes with big things. But yeah, I can be fearless. I mean, I, I, I will say, okay, we're going we're gonna to take this challenge. I mean, if you look at the history of this church, there were... There are moments I don't even want to look back on because they were so precarious at the time, but I believe God wanted us to do it, and so by faith we did what God called us to do. So at times I can be bold as a lion, and yet I can have a little red spot come up on my skin, and I'm just certain I'm dying with cancer. That's a fact. You can ask Mary Alice about that. Isn't that peculiar? We're talking about the area of boldness, and at one moment I can be bold as a lion, and the next moment, I can be like a whimpering child. I mean, not physically, but that's what's going on inside of me. If you've been at New Spring for a lot of years, you know some of this story. If you're new, I just need to tell you. For years, I had to do what we do when we have contradictory traits in the same area. And everybody sees how good you are at it, you have to cover up that area that you're not very good at. I mean, some of you are in that situation right now at work. You got promoted because you've shown strengths in a particular area, and yet there are holes in that gift package, and they cause all kinds of insecurity and anxiety. Well, you know, for years, I just said, okay, yeah, I, I have this side of me that deals with enormous anxiety, but everybody thinks I'm fearless as a lion, so I just got to keep doing what I do until nine years ago. In December of 2010, it was all that untreated anxiety disorder became physical and shut me down. And I actually had to leave in those days for about six weeks and just go away and find some way to rest and be quiet for a while. Now, what I want to talk about is when I came home. Because after being off the stage for six weeks and walking back on stage, I knew I was going to have to talk to you guys as a church about what had happened to me. And I knew I could do it euphemistically. In other words, I could put a good spin on it. I could say I, I was exhausted and I needed rest and thank you for you know, allowing me that time of rest. That would have been technically true, but it, had, it was so far away from the real gritty, ugly aspect of just becoming debilitated by anxiety, and I thought, well, I'm going to come back and tell the story in all of its ugliness. And I talked about just how I just fell off the wire and didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to listen to music, and I couldn't, I, I just couldn't be, I couldn't function, didn't even want to drive. It was, and I didn't see it coming. And to this day, I'm not exactly sure what happened to me. I'm not exactly sure how I came out of it. it, it it's just what it was. But I came back and I preached two series on it. One series is still one of the best-selling series that we've ever had at New Spring called Intensive Care. 
And then I came back a few months later and preached a series called Valleys. In total, I did nine sermons, not only for the church, but they went out on television. And I told about what happened to me. Well, I discovered a couple of things. Number one, I discovered that I wasn't the only person to experience that. As I begin to hear other stories, I mean, Louis Giglio told almost an identical story at the, Pas- at the Catalyst Conference in 2015. Franklin Graham said, Daddy went through that at 52. I mean, I started hearing all these stories of people who have been through that. And then as I brought the message to New Spring, I would have leaders, often, actually, I can remember having CEOs of companies sit down and talk with me and say, Mark, I think I'm about to go through the same thing. But let me tell you what it did for me personally. It set me free. I never had to worry again about the fact that even though I was strong in an area, there were holes in my gift package. I think without even knowing this language was in the Bible, in a way, I was able to pray for the first time, thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex psychologically because I watched as my story began to have immeasurable benefit to others. So... Let's go there. That quirky contradiction of gifts. Those strange weaknesses that poke up their heads in your gift package. Why? Why did God make us complex in the first place? Well, I know this is going to sound like psychobabble, but just work with me for a moment. The world needs you. God made us. There's 7 billion plus people on the planet. Your package, God made you to plug into this planet to change the world and impact eternity. And God looked down from heaven and he said, as strange it is for me to grasp, I need a Mark Hoover. And I'm going to build him the way I want to build him. And he'll be quirky and it'll be hard for him to understand himself. But I'm going to put together a collection of traits that fit them job that I'm going to call him, call him to do. And he did the same thing with you. You say, Mark, how do you know the world needs you? Well, I didn't decide it. God did. How do you know that the world needs you? If you're a God follower, it's because God designed you. God decided that the world needed you. And you know, here's the problem. If our insecurity and anxiety takes over because we're different, we'll pull back and the very beauty that God built you to have will be taken away from the world. What a place this world would be if just all the Christ followers said, thank you, God, for making me so complex. And instead of hiding, here I am, use me. Make me able to do whatever you want me to do to change this world. What a beautiful world this would be, wouldn't it? Second reason why we're complex is because we need each other. See, I feel my weakness so that I will understand I'm not a whole contained, self-contained unit. I need you. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would it be any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if we'd only have one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Oh, this is not in my sermon, and this is the only one of the services I'm going to say this this week, but I just feel led to say it right now. This is what is so wrong with a human sense of superiority, whether it's classism or racism or just anything else. What's wrong with this is a person is saying, my gift package is more important than your gift package, and I don't need you. But we just learned from God that he's made us all the way he wanted us to be. And the world needs you, and the world needs me, and I need you, and you need me, and we all need God, and we all need each other, right? That's the message of the word of God. God made you complex because the world needs you. You need the rest of us and all of us together need God. This and I'm finished. The first part of this little collection of verses is thank you for making me so wonderfully complex biologically. Second part, thank you for making me so complex psychologically or personally. And now David closes with this. Thank you 
for making my journey so complex. You know what would be the coolest thing with us today? And there are probably 7,000 of us here today, so we can't do this, but what would really be cool is just for us to sit down and share our journeys to this place with each other. Wouldn't that be cool? You know what we would discover real quickly? That almost none of us has had a classical by-the-book journey. You know, when you're young, the culture tells you, and I don't think it does it intentionally, but the culture tends to tell us if you're going to get ahead in life, then you're going to have to do these things in school. You're going to have to have this kind of education. You're going to have to meet the right people. You're going to have to kiss up to the people that matter. I mean, there's sort of this classical trail to get to the top. I think what would especially be interesting today is for those of you who are under 25 to talk with those of us who are over 55. Because a lot of us who are 55 could tell you about a lot of cool things that God has allowed us to do, and yet it wasn't a classical journey to get here. We didn't have a classical education, maybe. Or or maybe we didn't take the trail that is normally taken or normally considered to be taken getting to the place where we are. It was an interesting journey. I've discovered that. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of talking to many New Springers who are very successful. And when I hear them unpack their stories, what I'll often discover is their educations are not classical or perhaps they have an education in a different area from which they have uber success. But just like God knit us together in our mother's womb, God tends to knit our journeys together in strange ways. Who am I talking to today? You are in a place of great impact. You have been promoted to a spot in life where your actions have a lot to do with the well-being of others but you didn't have a classical journey to get there and you're a little bit insecure about it and quite frankly, it can cause anxiety sometimes. I want you to read what David said. Let this settle in like rain on parched ground. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Well, we keep diaries. We record the events of a day after they happen. But David was like, God, you wrote my diary for my life before I was born. And just in case that's not big enough for us, the next line says, every moment was laid out before a single day passed. Now, real quickly, this does not mean that God wished the bad things that people have done to you. This is a broken world and bad people do bad things. But God is saying that he has the power to redeem those things. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. For making my journey so wonderfully complex. God just does things differently than we would do it. Suppose you could be God for an afternoon. I don't think it would be good for me to be God for five minutes because, well, of the butterfly effect for one thing, but suppose for a moment that you could be God for one afternoon and you wanted to build the best strategic leader of all time whose ingenuity would save the world, not a city, not a state, not a country, but whose ingenuity would save the world at a time of global famine. Would you have him languish for years in prison on a trumped up rape charge? No? And you would have ruled out Joseph. If you were Jesus and you wanted a preacher to kick off your amazing idea of the church, would you pick a raw, uneducated fisherman who kept sticking his foot in his mouth every time he tried to talk? No, I wouldn't have either. But we would have ruled out Simon Peter. If you wanted to build the woman who would bring the Savior into the world, Would you pick a poor, obscure girl who lived in Nowheresville, let her get pregnant, unmarried, without ever being with a man, and people assuming bad things? Would you have done it that way? No, I sure wouldn't have either, but we would have ruled out Mary. If you wanted to construct the greatest leader in the history of mankind, 
Would you pick somebody who screwed up so bad at being Cape Crusader that he accidentally killed a man, hid his body, and disappeared out in the desert as a fugitive from justice until he turned 80? No? Well, neither would I. But we would have ruled out Moses. Our God just does things differently. He just does. He delights in complex journeys. I love what God has done in my life, and yet almost nothing has been classical or by the book. And at times, that's caused me to be insecure and anxious. But as I said, for all of you who are 25 or younger, it would be good to talk to some of us who are a little bit older because we could tell you that even though it's a little bit not, it's a little unusual and not classical, God's ways are so cool and he knows what he's doing. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex biologically. Thank you, God, for making me so complex psychologically. And thank you, God, for making my journey so complex. Our God knows what he's doing. Would you bow your head with me, please? The great thing that happens in a human being is when a human being wakes up one day and realizes that he needs or she needs a savior and then discovers that God has made one available, the only one. And we take who we are with all of our complexities and idiosyncrasies and especially our sins and we say, Lord, I made a mess of things but as well as I know how, I want to give all of me to all of you. And the Bible tells us that God loves you very much and he made a way for your sins to be paid for. He came into our world God in flesh, Jesus Christ, lived for 33 years the life we can't live. He ran the table, never did one thing wrong, then took that perfect life and laid it on a cross. And the way God saw it, his blood paid for everything you and I have ever done wrong. So that you and I could come to a God, the God who created us, the God who made us, the God who knows us, the God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, the God who has mapped out the course of our lives. And we say, God, I trust myself to you eternally. And the Bible tells us that God forgives us, washes away our sins, adopts us into his family, and we will always be together with him. It's an enormous promise. And it's not a matter of joining a church or becoming an adherent to a religion. It's a matter of just personally asking for this gift. As we close out this service today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And whether you're in South here or North Auditorium or watching online or watching on television, you can pray this prayer with me. You can say your own words if you want to. God's just looking for a big yes. But I'll pray these words slowly in case you want to pray them with me. And God will hear. Dear God, I am a sinner. I am flawed and broken. But I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want Jesus to be my savior and my king. As best I can, I trust all you are with all that I am. Take charge of my life. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, as soon as the service is over, go to any info center. They're all over the campus and just say, I pray with Mark. Nobody will stalk you or hassle you. They just want to give you a gift box with a Bible and a book I wrote and some other cool stuff. It's free. Just say, I pray with Mark. God bless. See you next weekend, week four. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.